is their sins. And Jesus just keeps writing. And one by one, they began to wander off. Because they can't cast the first stone because they have sinned. And they're seeing their own sin pointed out by Jesus. Then Jesus comes and he says to the woman, he says, where are those that are accusing you? And she says, you know, there's no one here, Lord. A couple of things I want you to notice is that when the Pharisees began to talk to Jesus, uh, in verse 4, they called him teacher, rabbi, teacher. They're not willing to recognize who he is. And they are trying to test who he thinks he is. But when she sees what he's done and the heart of the father coming through Jesus about her sin, she recognizes him as Lord. And so he says, you know, who's accused you? And she says, no one, Lord. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. This is not a place that Jesus is condoning the adultery that she's in. Not by any means. But what he is saying here is he's saying you're already condemned. You don't even understand the fullness of where you are. But as you sin, the law has condemned you. You see, the law defines God's holiness. And in anything outside of that law, anything, anytime you break that law, you are condemned by your actions by the law. Jesus, let's look at something. Put your marker right here and we'll come back to this in just a second. Turn back to John 3, um, John 3, 16. And John, so um, Jesus helps us to understand exactly what he's saying right here. Just a few pages back on 12, 23. John 3.16, Jesus says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He's saying this because he understands the predicament that we're in. And he, he, God loved the world. He made a way for it. But verse 17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. You see, he's already been condemned by the law because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. So he, he's helping us to see right here. He's telling her, he said, I don't condemn you either, but... You know, you're already condemned. 
But he's saying, go and sin no more. He's saying, today you can make a choice. And as you come into alignment to agree that I am your Lord, that you make me Lord, that I'm now your master, that you will follow in my ways, that you will follow in my path, then you will not be condemned and you can go and don't come back and sin anymore in this place. I was thinking about this this morning as... I have been studying this all week and the message that God gave me and and I think we'll still look at but then he added something to it this morning and he said do you see this is true when you're praying about this situation with Ukraine and Russia we're so excited to pray for Ukraine and the provision for Ukraine, and God's protection, and that he would overcome this enemy. But if we're not careful in that place, and I, and I do believe God's calling us to pray in that vein, I do. And I am praying that, because he told me to pray that this would be a miracle as Daniel overcame the giant and the enemy. So I believe God is saying, Deb, come and pray for a miracle that this would be as Daniel comes and overcomes this giant. But he's also giving us this story today to remind us to be cautious that we don't become as the Pharisees accusing and condemning the Russian people And forget the heart of Jesus that loves them as well. You see, the enemy is the one at work here. But who is the enemy? Is it these 18-year-old Russian soldiers that have been thrown into war had to leave their family as well. They don't even know why they're in this war. They probably don't want to be here. But they didn't have any choice, and they've had to rise to this situation. Are they the enemy? Or is God's heart for them that in this time that they would see something that happens in this battle that would draw them to Jesus? Would that be the heart of God? Or is Putin the enemy? Boy, it's easy to align with that, isn't it? He's the one we'll point our finger at. He's the one that's causing the problem. It's his pride. It's his arrogance. <laughs> what about Paul? Was Paul just like Putin? Yes. 
He was the one murdering the Christians. So what is God's heart for Putin? Should our prayers include not only the protection over Ukraine, but that God would do something mighty in this man's heart to bring him to truth. Who is the enemy here? It's the enemy that's always been here. It's the enemy that fights against you every day. It's the enemy that fought against the, the people of the New Testament, the people of the Old Testament. From the beginning of time, it is the enemy that is working in men to bring about destruction. And yes, they've aligned with him. It is true. But what we have to be cautious of is that we ourselves have sinned. That as we come to this place and are so angry with what is going on, that we have to see that Jesus is riding in the sand exactly where your sins are. And those sins bring death. Because they're out of alignment with God's holiness. They're not a lesser sin. So I love this place that God is challenging us. That as we come and pray, and I believe with all my heart we've been called to pray, for Ukraine, for their strength, for their protection, for a miracle, for God to be seen in this place, for lives to be changed. But we cannot harden our heart because we are told by Jesus to pray for your enemies. Because many people would say, Putin needs to be taken out. Because he's not going to stop here. He's going to come on. And that is exactly what the military people would tell you. That he's going to come on and he's going to come on and he's going to come on. And so the people that are in military thinking will tell you we got to take him out. The people in spiritual say we don't know what God wants to do. But our job is to pray in the heart of Jesus that would be that his heart would be changed. And that God's will would be done. That goes against every part of our flesh, does it not? You see, we are so human that we want to have a right side and a wrong side that we can point our finger to and judge. And that's exactly where these Pharisees are. 
And the people that Jesus comes against over and over and over as he walks on earth is the Pharisees because they're always pointing the finger. Jesus goes on in verse 12. Because what I'm telling you is, I'm not telling you that Jesus is condoning the, the actions of the people that are coming in and killing and murdering these Ukrainians. God is not condoning that. Do not mishear this. Nor is he condoning the heart of where Putin is. Don't mishear this. They are condemned already by God's law. But God's heart and Jesus' heart is that they would see the truth and be changed. That's where we have to join in with him. Jesus comes on in verse 12 and he says, Then Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of light, of life. He shall have the light of life. So Jesus is saying, I am the light, not the light of just the Christian people. He didn't come to be just the light of the Christian people. He came to be the light of the world. But not all people will see that and follow him. But the opportunity is there, and that's the heart of the Father. Light. What does it mean? I mean, it's so, this is such an a, a interesting place. Again, it's a physical understanding, but it has a spiritual significance. So if we turn the lights all off in here, it will be very dark. But as immediately, when you hit the light switch, the light overcomes the darkness immediately. There's no delay. There's no battle. There's no challenge. It overcomes the darkness. But what is this light? I want to I look at a couple of scriptures real quickly. Turn with me to Psalms 27. It's on page 633. You know, when we're trying to define what things are, we have to go to the Old Testament to find the foundational understanding for what Jesus was teaching us in the New Testament. So we go to Psalms to understand what this light is. And it says in verse 1, it says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. The parallel to light is salvation, deliverance, freedom, being saved. That is the parallel to light. If you go back to, turn back to John, 
to your marker and then turn back a few pages to John 1. It's going to be on 1220. John uses this understanding over and over and over because Jesus used it over and over and over. And, and so John pulls this out for us to understand many times. In verse 4, it says, In him, in Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of men. And the life was the salvation of men. In him was life. In Jesus is life. In Jesus is your life. Opportunity. The life was the salvation of men. And verse 5 says, And the salvation, the light, shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. That word comprehend, I don't really like the you can't understand what that even means. But what it means is that it didn't overcome. And the light shines in the darkness. The salvation shines in the darkness. And the darkness can't comprehend it. It can't overtake it. The darkness can't overtake Jesus. Period. I don't care who wins the battle on this earth. The life is in Jesus. And the darkness can't overtake it. Do you hear me? Turn to, or look down at... Um, Verse 9, and it says, That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. Jesus, the true light. Turn with me over to 319, a couple of pages or a page over. 319, this is where we were reading a while ago. And it says, and this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he do who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God if you want to read this this way it, in verse 19 it says and this is the con condemnation that Jesus has come into the world and men love darkness rather than Jesus because their deeds are evil. For everyone practicing evil hates Jesus 
and does not come to Jesus, lest his deeds, the things he does, should be exposed. He knows that Jesus knows. But he who does the truth comes to Jesus, that his works, his deeds, may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Turn with me back to John, uh, to Genesis 1. It's on page 1. I know we've looked at this a lot, but I want to just look at this for a second here. We've seen this many times. I love that God began to help us understand this truth right on page 1, <laughs> right in the very beginning. Verse 2 says, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, and it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. Darkness. We looked at this word several, several months ago. It means, it means dark. It means destruction. It means death. It means sorrow. It means wickedness. It means sinful. And this place of light is deliverance and salvation from the darkness. You see, he took the light and divided it out from the darkness for his purpose. In verse 4, it says, And God saw the light, and it was good. You remember that word tov. It means for God's purpose. And he, he divided the light from the darkness. He separated it out. He said light can have nothing to do with darkness. But we are born in darkness. You know, sometimes I'm just going to throw this out there. Sometimes people say we are, we are made in the image of God. That is not true. That is not a true statement. You, that was true in the Garden of Eden when Adam was made. He was made and Eve was made in the image of God. But then sin happened. And then it says that his son Seth was made in the image of Adam with sin. And such as it has been since that time. So these people that say we're born in the image of God, that is not true. Not true at all. You are born in the image of sin and darkness and evil and demonic. That's where you're born. And that's why Jesus came and he said, you have to be born again. Because you cannot enter the kingdom. Because God has divided light and darkness. And you can't bring your darkness into his kingdom. You can't. He will not tolerate it. And Jesus said, so you have to be born again, born of the Spirit. 
so that you're no longer living in the flesh and the darkness that you were made in. But now you're living and walking in the spirit that aligns with God, the Father, and God, Jesus, because they're all God. They're all one. The Spirit, Jesus, the Father, God. Going back to John 8, I got a little off sidetracked there, but it's all comes to help us to understand the truth. I want you to look at a couple of other places. John, uh, excuse me, Acts, let's go to Acts. Leave your marker right here in John. We're coming right back. Acts 26 on page 1289. <clears throat> the writer of Acts in verse... 23, verse 23 says that the Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. He would proclaim salvation to the chosen people of God, the Jewish people. But here's the thing, and to the Gentiles, those walking in darkness, those that have nothing to do with Jesus, he would come and proclaim salvation. That's what he did in my life. I wasn't walking with Jesus. And whenever Jesus found you, you weren't either. But he found you, and he touched you, and he proclaimed salvation and deliverance out of the darkness that you were born into. And if you receive what he's proclaiming, he'll take you out of the darkness. If you don't, you're still there. Don't fool yourself. I don't care how good you are. I don't care what nice things you do. I don't care about those things. I was there. I was going to church. I was reading a little bit every now and then. I was singing the songs. I was praying sometimes. Everyone you knew or everyone I knew would have said I was a Christian. Because I'd walked the aisle, given my life to Jesus in words. I'd been baptized twice. But go back and look at verse 12 in John. John 8, verse 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light 
the salvation of the world. And he who follows me shall not walk in darkness. There's the problem right there. I was walking in darkness. I was saying I was in Jesus, but I was not following him. I was walking in what I wanted to do. Maybe it wasn't real bad. I wasn't robbing banks. I wasn't creating a war. I wasn't doing horrible things. And most of the people I knew would have said, she is such a good person. But the truth of the matter is, I was not following his ways. I was walking in my own darkness. I pray that you'll read this passage from start to finish because we're not going to have time to do that. But I want to jump over to uh, the verse right here at verse 21. Jesus is telling the Pharisees in verse 19, he says, You neither know know me or my father. If you had known me, you would have known my father. You know, he said, if you'd known me, you'd have known the Father, but you haven't known either one of us. And, and they're arguing back and forth here. The Pharisees are arguing with Jesus. And, and then in 21, he says, then Jesus says to them again, he says, I'm going away and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself because he says where I go? You cannot come. He said to them, you are from beneath. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sin. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. This is so strong, people. Listen to what he's saying. He's talking to these Pharisees. Who are they? They're the church leaders. That's who they are. They are doing all the things that churchy people do. They're going to the synagogue. They're going to the worship times. They know the scriptures. And yet Jesus says, you're going to die in your sins. And then he says, where I'm going, you can't go. Why? Because they're in darkness. And they cannot come into the presence of God in their own darkness. He goes on in verse 23 and he says, you are from beneath. Would that trouble you if Jesus walked in today and said, you are from beneath? Why is he saying that? He's saying, you can't come into the places I'm above this world. You are from the darkness of this world. He's talking spiritually. He's saying you are here. And you can't come with me where I'm going. I live in a different realm. I live in the spirit realm. I don't live in this darkness. And you can't come. And he says in verse 24, he says, Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. He says, you will die in your sins. What does that mean? That doesn't 
mean? He's not talking about a physical death. He's talking about a spiritual situation just like he is with everything else. He is saying, you will die right where you are in darkness. Do not kid yourself. Jesus is talking very boldly to these people. Why? Because he wants them to know the truth. And he says, you will die in your sins. You will not live with me. You will stay in your darkness and you will be right there. He says, for if you do not believe that I am he you will die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am God and that you change your life for that reason, you will die in your sins. Now he goes on down. Let me see. Let's skip down to verse 28. It says, Then Jesus says to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He and that I Do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. As he spoke these words, many believed. But it doesn't say all, but it said many. Wow. They heard what he was saying. And then verse 31, it says, I want you to listen to this. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, this is only the ones that believed. I want you to hear me. This is talking to us that have made a decision that we believe. Now he's going to say something really important. Not to the ones that don't believe. This has nothing to do for them. But to those who believe, it says, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. If you abide, I want you to hear this. If you abide, remain. If you remain in my word, in my truths, then you're my disciple. I tell people all the time, all my life, people said, are you saved? And people would go back and they'd say, oh, yes, on such and such day I was saved. And here's the thing. I don't think that makes a hill of beans. It doesn't matter when you were saved if you've not continued. But what it does matter is where you are today. And so what I love to tell people, are you saved? Yes, today I am because this morning I decided I will follow Jesus. But tomorrow I will have to decide again. Why? Because I've got to remain. I've got to abide in him. And it says, in his word, 
in his word. And then verse 32 says, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The truth. What is the truth? He defines, Jesus defines it for us. If you'll look a, a couple of pages over in uh, John 17, on page 1245. In verse 17, it says, Jesus is speaking. He says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Your word is truth. This word sanctify, that means be set apart from the darkness. He say, what he is saying right here, he's, he's saying set them apart from the darkness. Set them apart from where they were born. Set them apart from what their flesh wants to do. By my word. That's what he's saying here. Set them apart from the darkness by my word. Look with me to Psalms 119. Um, don't, let me grab you a page number. Seven o seven o eight. No, 709. <clears throat> Psalms 119, verse 142, says, Your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and your law is truth. Your law, your word, the scripture is truth. His written word his laws, his ways. Turn back with me to John 8. So what he is saying is, if you remain with me, you'll be my disciples. And you shall know the truth, the word. You will know my laws. You will know my ways. You will know what it means to be my disciple. You will continue to read in my words so that I can grow you into who you're supposed to be. You shall know my word. And my word shall set you free. 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 Free from all of the things that he is setting you apart from. You see, once you come to Jesus and you make him Lord of your life, you're still covered in all this stuff that, that is your flesh. But he wants to, as it said in John 17, he wants to sanctify you. He wants to set you apart from that. He wants to grow you out of that. There are still things that will have a stronghold on you, but he wants to grow you out of that. He wants to set you free from the darkness. 
Look at verse 36, and it says, Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. He says, I'm the light. I'm the salvation. I'm the one that can deliver you from the darkness. If you will remain in my word and in my truth, you'll be my disciple. And I will set you free from the things that hold you in captivity that are not of me. And if I set you free, he's saying you will be free. I love the place that he started as, as he brought, as he's talking and they brought this woman caught in adultery. And he knows her sin. But he's offering her the same opportunity that he's offering you that he offered me he's offering you salvation deliverance the light and if you make him lord you can be free from the darkness from death from dying in your sins. Free. Free from the penalty of death. You see, they brought her to be stoned to death because that's what the law demands. I've told you many times that when the Lord found me, one of the first things he said to me is, you're an adulteress. Do you know what the penalty is for an adulteress? And I didn't. I went and looked it up in Leviticus. And the penalty was death. It was just as these Pharisees are saying. They brought her to be stoned because the penalty is death. I was condemned by the law. Not Jesus. Jesus took the opportunity to show me my sin. To give me the opportunity to walk into freedom out of the penalty of death. So I pray if you're here today and you've made Jesus Lord, but you've not continued to remain in his word. He's calling you to a place of awakening that you can be reminded of your freedom, that you don't have to be held in the captivity and the bondage of this world. He's not from this world. You don't have to remain there. You can live with him in a place beyond all the chaos of this world. If you haven't made him Lord, he is crying out to you today. 
that you would see the sins you're in just like this woman, just like I did. And you would say, I don't want to be here. I want to walk with you, Lord. And he would come and wash those places off of you. And you could walk into freedom. If you're here today and you're making any decision that we can stand with you and encourage you, our elders would love to would love to be a part of, of this journey with you as God comes and brings you into the fullness that he has for each of us. Would you stand with me, please?